Grace, mercy, and peace. These treasures and so many more are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text this morning is our gospel lesson from Luke chapter 16. Dear fellow children of God, if I were a rich man, before Tevye, the main character in Fiddler on the Roof, sung his very famous song, If I Were a Rich Man, he treated us to this one-sided conversation that he had with God. He said, oh Lord, you made many, many poor people. I realize, of course, it's no shame to be poor, but it's no great honor either. So what would have been so terrible if I had a small fortune? And then he launched into song, if I were a rich man. You can thank me after the service for not entertaining you as me singing, if I were a rich man. But I do believe that some of us here have, if not sung that, said that to ourselves at maybe more than one point in our lives. If I were a rich man or woman, or if my mom and dad were rich, then, and you can fill in your own blanks. And as you made out that hypothetical rich man to-do list, do you also, at the end of that, always tack on at least five charities, hospitals, missions, churches, schools that you would donate some of your riches to? And do you also say, I really don't think that being rich would change me at all? That may be true. But in our text this morning, we have two men in front of us. One, a very wealthy man who maybe never hypothesized if I were a rich man, because all he knew was being rich. And another man who also maybe never had the energy to wonder if I were a rich man, what would I do? Because we're told all he did was long for scraps from the rich man's table. Our theme this morning is, if I were a rich man, and, and the first thing we'll look at is, man's treasures are often, can often be, a threat. Earlier in this same chapter of Luke, last week's gospel lesson, parable of the shrewd manager, Jesus taught the importance of being wise with your wealth. It's not a sin to be rich, but don't let your heart become attached to those riches. You can't serve, Jesus says, God and money. And now today in this gospel lesson, Jesus gives concrete examples of what happens when our heart is in the wrong place. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Not just occasionally dressed on holidays, but always was dressing in the finest of clothes and lived literally sumptuously. There was no need that he had that his money could not buy and, and provide for. That's not the problem. The problem is that he had so much love for all of these blessings God had given him, there was no room left in his heart for love for God or for others. And he should have known better because he knew God's word. We know later in this story, he knows Moses and the prophets. So he would have known rich men like Abraham and how Abraham served God with his wealth. He would have known the warnings of Solomon that we heard last week in Ecclesiastes. Whoever has money never has money enough. He would have known about Job 
a man of God who said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. You can't take it with you, Mr. Richman. But he ignored all that. Not only no love for God, but also no love for his fellow man. At the rich man's gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the, mass, from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Have you ever wondered why would this rich man ignore Lazarus when he had so much? Why not just send out a bowl of leftovers to the beggar at the end of his driveway? It wasn't as though this was some random street person, panhandler, that he could pretend to ignore and walk by on the other side of the street. He knew Lazarus by name, and we know that because when he ends up in hell, he looks up and, and see, says, please send Lazarus. This was somebody of whom he was personally aware and, and who he knew, but just chose to ignore. Was it arrogance? Was it a rationalization that, well, God has blessed me, and maybe I deserve that, and if God isn't blessing this poor man, maybe it's the poor man's own fault. We don't know, but we do know this. Not a single word or act of kindness or compassion from a man who had so much for a man who had so little. But what did both men have in common? The time came when Lazarus died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. One lived in a mansion, the other at the end of a driveway. One man had everything he wanted and the other man had nothing. One man ate whatever he wanted and the other one simply hoped for some leftovers. What did they have in common? Death. And in death is where their paths once more diverged. And the rich man, much to his chagrin, learned that not only can your wealth be a threat to your faith, but he also learned that hell has absolutely no treasures at all. Lazarus is in heaven. The rich man is in hell. And he's suffering in hell. Suffering so terribly because of the fire of hell. And while Satan no doubt had lied to him during his lifetime saying, live for today, enjoy all of these riches, you deserve it, you earn it, the future will take care of itself. I wonder if down in hell the father of lies didn't lie. And he made it very clear to the rich man, you are here, not just for today, and tonight and tomorrow, but you are here forever, and there's no escape. The ultimate reversal of fortune could not have been lost on that rich man. And we're told, what does he do? He looks up to heaven and says, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. He doesn't ask for a rescue from hell. He just asks that, that Lazarus would come with one drop of cool water to try to ease some of his agony in hell. You wonder if he appreciated the irony of, of this, that while he was on earth and ate and drank of the richest of fare, and he ignored Lazarus, now he expects Lazarus a beggar he had ignored, to come and serve him 
down in hell. And I also wonder if as great as the physical suffering of hell was for this rich man, what had to be just as agonizing, just as torturous, is to look up to heaven and realize that is what I am missing and that is what I could have had. To see Lazarus enjoying what he would never enjoy and realize that it's because he never had time for God when he was on earth. Heartbreaking is Abraham's response to the rich man. No, I cannot send Lazarus to help you. And no, there is no way to cross from either heaven to hell or hell to heaven. So what, is, what does this story teach us? It teaches us to be on guard against the threat of, of wealth. And you realize you don't have to be a millionaire in our country today to be tempted by our possessions. For so many of us have been blessed so richly. But it also, perhaps, if that's a lesson we know and have taken to heart, that the greater lesson, or just as important a lesson we learn from the rich man, is love for our fellow man. If Lazarus was left at the end of your driveway, how would you react? If he was lying there when you got home after church, what would you do? If when you walked in through the doors of the atrium today, Lazarus was on the outside, what would you say? What would our response be? When we see those in the community in, in need, what's my first question? Is my first question, how can they really be in need? Taco Bell's paying 15 bucks an hour? Or is my first question, I wonder if there is any way that I can help. If 50 Lazaruses from Venezuela were dropped unannounced at the Appleton International Airport, how would our community respond? How would Mount Olive respond? Would the response be, what are, what are they doing here? Send them back to the border. What are they doing here? Send them back to Venezuela. What are they doing here when half of them don't even know how to speak English, ignoring the fact that my great-grandparents came here not knowing English? I would like to think that if we could look beyond the political posturing on both sides of the political aisle, that our response at Mount Olive would be the same as some of the churches in Martha's Vineyard a week ago, where they opened their doors to those Venezuelan ref refugees, looked at their needs, provided for their needs, fed them, took care of them until they could get to a place that would be better suited to serve them, and provided for them a message from God's word in Spanish. I, I am confident that God's people here at Mount Olive would respond, recognizing that it doesn't matter what caused someone's plight, what matters is this is a human being in need of help. If the only point of this story, though, is money could keep you from heaven, then 
Jesus would have ended it with the rich man in hell and Lazarus in heaven. If the only point of this story was help those who are in need, it would have ended there. But Jesus goes on, and the important part to remember about this story, besides the threat of wealth, is, is this. If I were a rich man, recognize that money is a threat, hell has no treasures, and Christ's treasures always, always, always contain a promise. Why did that rich man end up where he was? It's because he failed to appreciate that the key to the treasures of heaven is found in the treasures of God's word. And even in death, he still failed to appreciate that because in death, he's in hell and he looks up and he asks, after, after Abraham says, we can't send Lazarus to help you, he says, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. He still didn't understand that God didn't take him to heaven because he was rich. God didn't take him to heaven because he had no faith in the promises of Moses and the prophets. Perhaps he thought he was entitled to heaven because if he's so richly blessed on earth, why wouldn't God bless him in heaven? Perhaps he thought he was going to heaven because he could say, I'm a child of Abraham. But then Abraham bursts his bubble and says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to him. And it still doesn't click for this rich man. He says, no, Father Abraham, if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. The same lack of respect for God's word in life, he also had in eternal death in hell. And Abraham said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Proof of that would be six months before Jesus' crucifixion. He calls a man dead for four days out of a tomb. There were many who put their faith in Jesus, but also many who refused to believe and, and harden their hearts, even though this dead man was now alive. Proof of this would be the very first Easter evening, two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Not enough faith to believe in the report of Jesus' resurrection, an often prophesied resurrection. And Jesus himself walks with them. And what convinces them is not an empty tomb, but rather Jesus walking them through God's Old Testament plan of salvation and how their hearts then burned within them. The poor man is in heaven because he clung to God's promises. And because he clung to God's promises, all of those treasures of heaven were his. Who do you cling to today? Who does the aged Christian cling to as she nears the end of her life? She clings to Jesus. And how does she do that since she can't grasp Jesus' hand physically. She does that by hanging on to, by clinging to all of the promises that she has learned since she was a child and repeating those to herself over and over and over again. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. In my Father's house are many mansions. 
God will never leave you or forsake you. And she clings to Jesus by singing those hymns that she learned as a child. And the promise is found in those hymns. I am Jesus, little lamb. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. I know that my Redeemer lives. My heart for joy is springing and can no more be sad. And she clings to her Savior in all of the treasures that he has given her through faith and all the treasures he has promised her in heaven. If I were a rich man, there are warnings in this story. Warnings that if the mirror of God's law isn't too fogged over with our own self-righteousness, may strike close to home this morning. But know this. You are a child of God. And while you have never been laid at the end of a driveway, poor and destitute and suffering, you were brought spiritually poor, spiritually bankrupt, to a baptismal font, where through the power of God's word and the cool water of baptism, you received the miracle of faith and you've been clinging to Jesus ever since. If I were a rich man, you are rich because he became poor. Is not this a wonder? Amen. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today. We hope that God's word has strengthened your faith. To help us know more about the reach of our efforts here at Monov, we hope that you'll like and subscribe to our YouTube and Facebook pages, and that you also sign our online friendship register to let us know that you're listening today. God bless and keep you.